When the age of American soccer-specific stadiums started in the early 2000s, the accepted wisdom was that while facilities are game changers for the business, beggars can't be choosers. When it came to location, you took what you could get. But rather than these stadiums becoming oases, some would become outposts. If you build it, they don't always come. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the evolution of the American soccer stadium. Uh, in our Mossy Makes the Case segment, Mossy's going to be talking about an outspoken and adult messy, whatever that means. Our Ask Alexi segment, we'll, ha- we'll be talking about referees. And in our back three, we'll be talking about Zlatan and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday morning? I am good, and I learned an important lesson last week. Okay. I'm never going to a soccer match with Keith Costigan again. Really? Yes. Keith Costigan, one of our colleagues over there, uh, a man who's done thousands and thousands of calls of game, a student of the game, if you will, getting all of his uh, coaching badges. And so he looks at it from a bunch of different perspectives and a member of uh, the tribe when it comes to the mutant gene, uh, a man I know and love. What was the problem this weekend going out to a game with Keith Costigan? We attended the Brazil-Peru friendly at mm-hmm. the L.A. Coliseum. Dreadful performance by Brazil, dreadful result. We lost 1-0. Congratulations to Ivis Galarcep, but I blame Keith Costigan for that. Why? So. What, did, what did he do? It just brought some bad mojo, you know. It's, he was uh, not fun to be around? It did no, not no, he was, improve the experience? The bottom line is we lost the game with him in attendance. So I'm, I'm So you're blaming like the that. entire yes. performance from Brazil on Keith Costigan, who jinxed it. Yes. Wow. So obviously you can never go with him again. Could it possibly be that your Brazilians were just along for the ride and having a good time in Los Angeles, and maybe, just maybe, they phoned it in? I have not considered that possibility, <laughs> but but you might be right. Where was this game? Uh, where did uh, L.A. Coliseum. How was it? I've played many a game in L.A. Coliseum. Not great. The uh, The pitch was terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chichi was very unhappy about it afterwards, said it was a disgrace. And you had the football lines. USC had just played there a couple nights before, so made for not a great setting for a game. Well, I'm sure they got their payday uh, regardless of uh, of the score. And by the way, a soccer match being played in a cavernous football stadium, that is a uh, uh, well, segue du- nicely into And your... directly next to a brand new soccer-specific <laughs> stadium, right? Correct. Uh, over there with the uh, LAFC stadium. What was the crowd? What did it end up being? 32,000. 32,000. Wow. All right. Well, it's going to keep happening, but it is it is changing a little bit in terms of these these tours. And they we know that for both clubs and national teams around the world, they look at the U.S. and rightfully so, given the market that that exists uh, as an as an ATM. And they will continue to punch in their identification number and pull out as much money as they possibly can. And people until people don't want to go anymore. But like you said, people want to go. Uh, anything else, Mossy, before we uh, light this candle? Shall we light this candle? Yes. All right, let's do it. As you know, each and every week, we kick the pot off with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. News out that after 14 years, the Chicago Fire are moving out of their 20,000-seat soccer-specific stadium, which is located outside the city, and moving back into Soldier Field, a 60,000-seat American football stadium located in the city, and also where the Fire first played when they started in Major League Soccer back in 1998. Times certainly have changed. What is old is new, again. 
When the age of American soccer-specific stadiums started in the early 2000s, the accepted wisdom was that while facilities are game changers for the business, beggars can't be choosers. When it came to location, you took what you could get, even if that meant going to areas that were industrial, sparsely inhabited, or struggling economically. These locations were available, they were cheaper, and they were receptive. That's why you have teams like the Chicago Fire, Philadelphia Union, and Colorado Rapids playing in places like Bridgeville, Illinois, Chester, Pennsylvania, and Commerce City, Colorado. It was the right move at the time, and it enabled these teams to grow. But rather than these stadiums becoming oases, some would become outposts. If you build it, they don't always come, especially when all the action remains in or migrates to different parts of the city. And with so many traditional urban areas of cities either being redefined or experiencing a renaissance, the need for teams to be in areas that are vibrant, growing, and accessible is becoming more important. Chicago Fire, off the field, well, they've taken the necessary step to try to be relevant again in Chicago. And it came down to three words. Location, location, location. All right, Mossy. Uh, times, as I said, in the State of the Union certainly have changed. I cannot believe that we are at a point right now where some of these soccer-specific stadiums, for many a reason, are becoming obsolete, and we are actually moving slash abandoning some of these places and going back. It was so important back when I was playing and then back when I was in the front office, it was such a huge part of the business to get that soccer-specific stadium. Every team wanted to do it by hook or by crook to figure out a way to get that soccer-specific stadium. And yet the, the Chicago Fire have obviously learned over the last 14 years that while it's nice, location is crucial to their future. Thoughts on this, Mossy? What the fire doing might be the lesser of two evils, but I still think the ideal formula is soccer-specific stadium in the right location. I know we've had some success stories like Atlanta and Seattle, but I still don't like the notion, as we talked about earlier, of soccer being played in these cavernous football stadiums. I think that's a bad look for MLS. It is a bad look, and it's one of the things that, from an optics perspective, was criticized and rightfully criticized from the start. Now, I, I should say a couple of things. Number one, uh, I didn't mention this in the State of the Union, but this is, this is part of the Chicago Fire part of the story. I know we're going to broaden it out, but part of the Chicago Fire part of the story is that they're also under new ownership. And this is ownership that's come in and spent a tremendous amount of money to buy the team and to take over full 100% ownership of the team and obviously to get out of their situation in, in Bridgeview. And so different markets are different. And so while we have a situation in Chicago, and Chicago's kind of like a, a, a New York, where you can go to the city and not have a specific place to go and just kind of figure out when you get there. Not all cities are like that. I grew up in, in, in the uh, suburbs of Detroit. You didn't go to Detroit just to go to Detroit and hang out and figure it out. You knew exactly where you were going. Oftentimes it was down to either the establishment or the block that you were going to. And you didn't go anywhere else. And you knew exactly where you are going, when you were going to be there, what you were going to do, and how long you were going to stay. That's changed a little bit. And that's why I talk about this renaissance of some of these places in, in a place like Detroit. But Chicago... Chicago is a place that traditionally forever has been a place that you go to. I mean, take look no further than Ferris Bueller or anybody else going into Chicago and having a day and incorporating entertainment, be it sports or concerts or, or food or whatever, into your into your experience. So that's that's a very different type of market than let's say a Salt Lake, which while there is a downtown and you can certainly go 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 downtown, the sprawl that you have there lends itself much more to having what they have with Rio Tinto in a much more suburban type of environment. This was neither a suburban type of environment in Chicago, uh, and certainly it wasn't a downtown area that 
over the last 15 years has evolved and progressed and grown in the way that maybe some thought. Uh, it is still desolate and that's part of the problem. But when we talk about these places, you want them to be a place that you go to. And that's why I, I mentioned places like Colorado and places like Philadelphia. We were in Philadelphia a couple weeks ago and uh, doing the women's game. And I've done plenty of Philadelphia Union games. And for those that haven't been to Chester, uh, where the stadium is, it's a wonderful vista. It's a beautiful picturesque type of place underneath this bridge but it's in an area where nobody is going to go you're not going to go and let's have some dinner and walk around and have a good time and have some drinks and stuff nobody is going to do that and they had to do what they did but it hurts that much more because when we were doing the women's game a couple weeks ago we were in philadelphia and there is literally in philadelphia a footprint of professional sports team stadiums down there that includes the baseball team the football team the hockey team all within a mile, square mile type of footprint out there. And the one thing that is missing is the Philadelphia Union. And But for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is actual the cost of doing something like that. We all know it's about location, but getting that location is the trick and fitting it into your budget is, uh, is, the, other tr is the other trick. But I will be interested to see how many other teams out there feel like this is the way to go, either because they're going to say, we're going to, we're going to figure out a way to get that stadium in the area that it should have been all along or that we can do right now. Or they just say, you know, we just need to be down there from a brand perspective because this does make Chicago relevant. And I, and I would be remiss if I didn't say this, and I know everybody's out there screaming and yelling, yes, but the product on the field, of course, you have to put more money and have a better product on the field. But at the very least now, people can, will be able to get to actually be there to watch the Chicago fire in an easy way with Matt transit they can go there and even if the team sucks they can still walk around and have a drink and go to restaurants and do and do all that kind of stuff which hasn't been the case in the past so i'm going to see how this reignites or transforms what the chicago fire is as a brand the other thing that they've talked about is possibly changing the name now it's a, it's a whole other conversation but i hope that this works in terms of making them relevancy when i was working in the front offices a very very smart man by the name of sean hunter always used to drill into us you have got to find a way to be relevant. And relevancy is everything when it comes to a, a sports team. And there's some MLS teams that are relevant and there's some, some that aren't. And there's some that are relevant because they've done X, Y, and Z. And there's some that aren't because they have done X, Y, and Z. And I think at least Chicago in this instance is trying to do things to remedy a poor situation and to be more relevant. But there are other teams out there. You look at uh, Colorado, who I mentioned. You know, Colorado, where they play, is the dark side of the moon. It's an industrial type of area. And oftentimes we'll stay in downtown Denver and we'll have a good time. And there's restaurants and bars and stuff like that. And the baseball team's going out. And, and the football stadium's a little bit farther. But then you go out to the soccer stadium, it's way, way the hell, uh, hell and gone. And I get why they did it. And this is nothing against the people at the time that did what they needed to do. It was the right move at the time. But times have changed. No, I agree with you. I mean, ultimately, what matters is success on the field. And to their credit, the fire have admitted that. And when they were good, they drew pretty well at Toyota Park. But the thing with location is, uh, even if you're rebuilding or you're struggling or you're in transition, you might still draw well in a good location because going to a soccer game is still a fun thing to sure. do. If you put too many hoops in front of people and it's too inconvenient and the team isn't good, then you're definitely not going to draw. So there absolutely is a value to being in the right location. location. Now, There's no question. We, we both live and know the Los Angeles area. And once again, uh, it, sometimes it's apples and oranges. And one thing that I learned over the, over the years is that it's easy from another market to tell somebody in 
pick a market that you're not in how to do things. And everybody has their challenges. And oftentimes they're very unique to the different markets. So Los Angeles, we all know that you can go 200 miles from way down in Orange County all the way up into the valley and still be in the greater Los Angeles uh, area. So when we have a, a situation right now where LAFC has come in from a location standpoint and they made a point of actually being in Los Angeles proper and being downtown as opposed to Carson. And that was the question when Carson came about. And it was a good deal that, uh, that AEG got down there but it's not anywhere near downtown. Now, Los Angeles is a little different because it's starting to come back, but it's, it has never been that type of center that everybody gravitates to right now. But when you have a big, shiny new thing, especially in a soccer-to-soccer -soccer type of comparison, that's why LAFC right now is the king of Los Angeles when it comes to what they are doing. Yeah, I mean, this is anecdotal, but uh, I live five minutes away from a train station, and I can hop on a train, and in 20-something minutes, it drops me off in front of Bank of California Stadium, and the train ticket costs $1.75, so it couldn't be Wait more convenient. Wait a second. Convenient. Hold everything. Did you just admit to the world that you take mass transit and you live in Los Angeles? Absolutely. What is your problem? And, you know, it's made it where when a friend <laughs> calls me up and says, hey, you want to go to an LAFC game? The only question is whether I want to spend a couple hours that day watching a soccer game, but in, in, there's no inconvenience to it. There's no issue of, of tr sitting in traffic and paying for parking or anything like that. So, I mean, it just shows you how important location is and public yeah. transportation, too. So it, it's been a game changer for me, for sure. Do you feel like a better person when you buy that $1.50 ticket and get on that train? Do you feel like you're, you're doing your part to save the world and you feel almost, you know, elite and, and, and superior to people? I do. Actually, when, when I first moved to L.A. from the East Coast, I had my car shipped and it took uh, a few weeks to arrive. And so I rode the bus my first few weeks living in Los Angeles. So that's when I really you felt like- You were so like, high and mighty while I'm you were sitting you. on your bus riding, tooling around and, and watching all the, the people that are just killing our earth next to you riding their cars. So single single people, one people, people in a car like that, huh? Jeez. Do you, uh, you drive a car now though, right? Yes. You don't, you don't use the bus anymore? I do not use the bus oh, anymore. My goodness. Look, if you make it easy for people, and this is not anything to do necessarily with, with sports, but entertainment in Los Angeles, we all know is very much of a, a car city, but the accessibility is huge because it invites, it, it, you don't want barriers to entry in any type of business. And if you're, regardless of what product you're selling. And there are so many, especially when it comes to soccer, you're going to get so many different excuses as to why I can't why I can't go and the more that you can say no it's okay it's easy it's cheap it's uh, safe all of those different things and if you can say and hey we're gonna go to dinner beforehand and then we're gonna walk to the stadium or we're gonna go get drinks after at this at this awesome bar and this also coincides with the supporters culture that has arisen uh, over the last let's say 15 years in Major League Soccer and how important that culture is in creating the atmospheres within the stadium, but also bringing people into the tent and into the fold and having them have that experience that extends beyond that 90 minutes. But if, if it's only that 90 minutes and then you go your separate ways and there's nothing else to do uh, around the stadium, that's a problem. So I hope that this works for the Chicago Fire. I'll be interested to see if there are other teams out there, other MLS teams or you know, just teams out there in general that, that look at this and say, this is the way to go. But to your point, this does not solve all of Chicago Fire's problems. And we could be right back where we started so many years ago with that horrible optic of, while it might be a good number in terms of fans, 
it's in that cavernous area. And you start tarping the place and you do everything you possibly can to make it more intimate, but it never is the same as a soccer-specific stadium that is full, the 20 to 25 to, or to 20 to 30, that has been the norm for uh, these American soccer stadiums that we, uh, that we have. So the ideal, as you said, is a soccer-specific stadium in a desirable and accessible and generally understood to be popular area. Yeah, but you can't always get that. So let, here's hoping that uh, as we go forward, people spend a whole lot more money uh, when it comes to their soccer stadiums. And this is why teams like Austin, teams like Nashville, teams like Cincinnati, t- teams like uh, Columbus with these new stadiums, they are hoping to put these pl- in places that people want to go. And if they don't go, then 15 years down the line, you'll say, ah, we might have messed that up. Hello, people. It's Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from Major League Soccer, the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case time for Mossy Makes the Case. My good friend, uh, Mr. Mossy, is going to be casing about something this week. What is it? Uh, my case is that Lionel Messi has reached the I'm old and I'm backing out of the driveway without looking phase of his career. <laughs> for all his genius on the field, for most of his career, Messi has been a pretty bland interview off of it, but that is beginning to change. He's currently serving an international suspension for claiming the Copa America was fixed for Brazil. And last week, he gave a fascinating interview to the Barcelona newspaper Sport. It recently came to light that Messi has a clause in his contract that allows him to leave Barcelona for free next summer. And when asked about that, you would have expected him to shut it down. Instead, he said, of course, I want to stay, but I want to be part of a winning project. That was interpreted as a veiled shot at Barcelona's directors. There's a sense that Messi has grown frustrated with the folks making decisions at the club for a variety of reasons, including the Neymar situation, the fact that he left, how poorly they replaced him, and their efforts to reacquire him this summer. In the interview, Messi more or less admitted that he asked for Neymar, and then he added, I'm not sure we did everything possible to sign him. When asked about the player Barcelona did sign, Antoine Griezmann, again, you would have expected Messi to talk about how excited he was to have such a great player at the club. Instead, he gave a very cold answer. He said he doesn't know him that well. It makes for an interesting subplot as we begin the Champions League group stage this week. Make no mistake, that is the competition that Messi is dying to win again. But if things were to go horribly wrong, him and Griezmann don't click, and they crash out in the quarterfinals, it could make for an interesting summer of 2020. Messi turns 33 next summer. He's been at Barcelona since the age of 13. And I do wonder, after 20 years, if he might actually contemplate a change. Wow. Okay, so many questions. Uh, Number one, and I think we've talked about this before, I don't see Messi as anything but being born, living, and continuing to his end days in that cocoon of Barcelona. It's, it, it's difficult for me to picture him anyplace else, as opposed to a Neymar uh, or a Cristiano Ronaldo, which I think are much more players of the world, if you will. Uh, having said that, with the opportunity to go there next summer, going back to this, would you rather sit down and have a conversation with Messi, Cristiano, Ronaldo, or Neymar? Uh, I think Ronaldo might seems like the more Cristiano interesting. Ronaldo? You think that's more interesting? Okay. Would you rather, if you were, ha- if you had to write a story, so therefore you want to make sure that you're, you know, getting clicks and, and getting people to read it, even though 
Cristiano might be more interesting. You mentioned that part of the allure of Messi, or maybe part of the allure, is that he, he has not talked. And when he does, as you said, he's very bland. Let's be honest, he's boring, okay? And so this is interesting. So since there isn't that historical you know, output that he has of talking to people, would he not be someone that you would, uh, if, you were, if you were a writer, you would want to talk to or not? Is that why this made such a big it was such a big deal? Number one, you got him to talk. Number two, you got him to say something interesting. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, it's funny. The, the reaction to this interview has sort of run the gamut from it's great to have an outspoken Messi and he's earned the right to say whatever he wants. But then there are people that felt like you've never won anything with Argentina. Everything you want has been with Barcelona. I know the directors haven't been perfect the last few years, but they still always put a good enough team around you. And you need to maybe look at yourself in the mirror for some of these recent Champions League failures. If you had scored a goal at Anfield or at the Olympico, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So it was kind of interesting to see the reaction. Where, where do you pick, if you picture Messi someplace else, where do you picture him? Yeah, I mean, for, for for what it's worth, I don't think he's leaving Barcelona. Okay. I think he's going to stay there the rest of his career. But if, if he were to leave to go somewhere else in Europe, you know, maybe if Pep came calling, Manchester City. Uh, you know, Messi in Manchester? <laughs> I mean, God. Really? I know, I mean, the, the linchpin of your Ronaldo over Messi argument is the fact that Ronaldo has done it in different yes, places. Yeah, and Ronaldo, yeah. Ronaldo himself has said that in recent months and actually urged Messi to try something different. Do you think perhaps that seeped into Messi's mind? And if so, would you like to see that happen? Would you be intrigued to see him somewhere else? I don't think that Cristiano, for one second, influences anything that Messi <laughs> does, okay? Uh, you know, we, a couple weeks ago at the uh, at the FIFA event, they had that wonderful type of picture, and it was actually it was actually cool to first off just to see them next to each other, and then to see them interact. But it, it's very very clear that they are very different people, and they're very different players. And I don't think that Messi looks at going someplace else or having that experience as something that he not only needs, but that, that he even wants. I don't, uh, to, to your point, I don't think that he goes anywhere. And it would blow my mind to see him in a different jersey, playing someplace else in a different league. I, I, I I'm here for it. Bring it on. I would love to see it. I just don't know if that, I mean, we, we, sh we should address this. One team that keeps getting mentioned is Inter-Miami. Yes. Do you, do you buy that? Do you think that Beckham has that sort of allure that he could actually convince a Messi to, in the relatively near future, to ditch Europe and go to uh, oh, I, I think that the allure of Miami in particular, especially for big players, and we know that they have flocked there. There's many former players that actually have houses in Florida. Gosh, I, I want to say yes, but it's still, it's just, it doesn't compute. It, it's just, if he can do, if David can figure out a way to do it, and obviously spend a tremendous amount of money. And as a free transfer, like you mentioned, next uh, summer, if that truly is the case, then, yeah. I mean, I, I, would I, I would love to see it. I just don't see it. Yeah, Cavani I could see. He has yeah, a yeah. year left in his PSG deal. They already have the heir apparent in Icardi. Uh, that I could see. Messi, you know, maybe if they won the treble this season and he feels like, you know, he— that's like the perfect moment to, to go out. But if he feels like he has any unfinished business in Europe, then then I, I can't see him making that move. Yeah, so. I mean, if this was Diego, for example, I could see it, okay? Uh, and in a very different way that, remember when Pele came for the NASL, there was, there was this feeling that he was coming to do something bigger than just actually play the game. And I think that appealed to Pele. I don't think that any fiber of Messi cares or wants to be uh, wants to be doing something like that and one note on barcelona one of the criticisms levied at their 
directors in recent years is that they've, they've turned their back on La Masia and they're all about signing stars. And that's what's made it so exciting, this emergence of this 16-year-old kid, Ansu Fati, who mm-hmm. is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he started this weekend against Valencia and in the first seven minutes had a goal and an assist. I mean, he really does look like the real deal. And so that's given a little bit of a different flavor to this Barcelona team as opposed to the last couple. You know, he's taken advantage of the fact that Messi, Suarez, and Dembele have all been injured early on this season. So he's been able to get on the field. But the fans are going to expect him to have a role moving forward now. Obviously, when everybody's fit, Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann will be the front three. But I think this could spell bad news for Dembele because Valverde's going to have to find some sort of role for this kid. Um, I I was very impressed with Barcelona this weekend, particularly in the midfield, because I I don't know why Artur had to prove himself all over again. He had a very good season last season, and he seemed to be on the outs at the start of this season, but he finally got in the starting lineup this weekend. And him and Frankie de Jong were beautiful together. They had kind of a Xavi Iniesta feel. So again, for whatever faults Barcelona's regime, whatever mistakes they've made the last few years, that team still always feels loaded to me, and, and they do again this season. And if Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann can get that combination right, I think they are going to be very difficult to stop. They could win everything. Well, who knows? Maybe we're seeing the last of Messi when it comes to his uh, European time, and that uh, next summer he announces he's coming to into Miami. Hey, look, I am all for what David Beckham almost uniquely and in particular can do, because he can force Major League Soccer to allow his team and therefore allow many other teams to do things that haven't been done in the past. Because if it's almost as if he has to do something big. Messy big, that would be that would be wonderful. Either way, it's going it's going to be big. But I hope that he continues to talk big and then back it up because it's going to make not just his team better, but it's going to make everybody better because it's going to open up opportunities for other teams that want to do more, that want to spend more, that want to uh, not be as restricted and prohibited as the rules and regulations that exist in MLS make them on a consistent basis. So I, I hope that, and that's a, that's a real value to having David Beckham, because it's one thing just telling a bunch of rich no-names that they can't do it. It's another thing telling somebody who is an icon and has the uh, has a megaphone to not just to the country but to the world. Uh, no, you can't do something like that when you want to do that because there, when that when that gets out that you wanted to spend more money, you wanted to bring in these types of players, uh, that would be that would be problematic for Major League Soccer. So I think that Inter has the opportunity to change the face of the league if they're going to do big things like that. Is it the Messi level? Uh, we will find out. I would love to see it. I, as I said, I'd love to see him anywhere else just to see what he looks like. Anything else, Mossy? Nope, that's it. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for that part of the show where we answer some questions with our Ask Alexi hashtag out there. Use that whenever you're sending us tweets or uh, on Facebook or any type of social media. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi. We'll pick out two or three, uh, and we will read them out as Mossy is about to do right now. All right, what do the people want to know this week, Mossy? First up, at Rocket38TX, when will Sargent get some starter minutes over Zardes? Talking about Josh Sargent, uh, one of the up-and-coming players, 19 uh, years old right now, playing over there in Germany for Bremen. A lot of hopes and dreams on his shoulder because right now, I would think the pecking order would be Josie Altador, who's been around forever, and we know exactly what Josie can bring, the good and the bad. Jossie Zardes, who has started over the last couple of weeks in the friendlies, who is a polarizing figure to say the least, uh, given what he is and, and given what he isn't. And so the American soccer community is certainly looking for someone like uh, Josh Sargent to come up and step up. I just think that this might be, uh, at this moment, 
a bridge too far. Unless he does some real growing and developing, and once again, he's not necessarily starting on a consistent basis for uh, for Bremen over there, so it's going to be hard for him to do. I just think by the time we get around to qualifying and then, knock on wood, qualify and get to the World Cup, he's just not going to be the finished, well, it doesn't have to be the finished article, but he's not going to be far enough along to take that away from a Josie Altidore. Over Jossie Zardes, I think you can, I, I am not as down on Jossie as a lot of people are out there. I know that he is limited. I know that he is frustrating to uh, to a lot of people. But once again, this goes back to something we've talked about numerous times on the pod. Greg Berhalter is charged with not just putting the best players on the field, but putting the best collection of players. And if Josh Sargent isn't one of those players that fits into what Greg Berhalter wants to do, and Jossie Zardes is, if this is the way you're going to play, I don't want you to force a round peg into a square hole. I want you to put the players that you think are going to implement the system the best. Doesn't mean that Josh Sargent can't do that, but that's a long way of saying, I do think that Josh Sargent is going to get opportunities going forward because rightfully so, he's he's a talented player and you're looking for someone to put the ball in the back of the net. And ultimately that's what's going to dictate whether he continues on or not. What else, Mossy? Next up, at that the W Miaz. What city do you think will host the 2026 World Cup final? Ah, okay. So uh, as uh, those of us that fly a lot, as I do, you will notice that the, uh, the landing pattern for Los Angeles here at LAX goes from the east to the west. And so you're landing over populated areas coming into the, uh, the runway, which is right off the coast here. And each and every time, if you are sitting oftentimes out of uh, your, well, it depends on what side you're coming in, which runway you're coming in. You will look out your window and you will see this stadium that is, over the last couple of years, I've just seen grow from the demolition of the area to the initial phase to an actual skeleton, which is much more than a skeleton right now, of what they're calling the SoFi Stadium, which is in Inglewood. All told, when it comes down to it, not just the stadium, but the development around it, I think it's going to be $5 billion. That is B, yes, billion-dollar type of development that's going to go there. It was not included in the original bid for the 2026 World Cup because it didn't exist at the time. In no way does that mean it won't be considered. It would not surprise me in the least if the World Cup final is played there. You have a brand new $3 million, $2 million, $2.5 million, billion, excuse me, billion-dollar stadium right there that is state-of-the-art, that is new, that is in Los Angeles, uh, that is certainly very different than the Rose Bowl, which we know hosted the final in 1994. But the other side of it is, there are some other places out there that could absolutely host World Cup finals. You're talking about your Atlantas, your Dallases, and New York. And we know in 1994, LA was uh, was a venue and hosted the uh, the final between Brazil and uh, Italy. Who won that final? Uh, Brazil on penalties. Our, our colleague Johnny Arai attended that game. <laughs> well, so did I. It was, uh, but the, the Rose Bowl is a very historic, but yes, a very, very old type of stadium. And so what do you do you pay homage to what happened in 1994 and come back to the same city that hosted the final, but obviously in a very new modern type of stadium? Or do you say, LA, you had your moment back in 1994. And now we're going to go someplace else to Atlanta, to Dallas, or to New York, the other biggest city, if you will, in the world, and certainly a place where everybody can focus their attention. And keep in mind, 
Time zones matter. Uh, so it's another three hours when you're when you're playing in uh, Los Angeles. So it means you have to play that much that much earlier as opposed to if you play in New York. So I think it will be a LA is going to be a host city, and I think the stadium, the new stadium, is going to be one of the venues when all is said and done. But I'm not sure it's going to host the the final. I would I could see them doing something very different in the form of, as I said, an Atlanta, a Dallas. Uh, or in New York, and I'd be I'd be okay with that. LA has had its moment, but when you got that shiny new stadium, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard, and it's gonna be incredible. And each and every time I fly in, I see it getting bigger and bigger and more defined and more defined. And it's uh, it's really something to behold from whatever three thousand feet or whatever I am when I'm coming in on landing there. What else, Mossy? At Martin Mulcahy, I suppose this is the fun one, but it's actually soccer related this week. <laughs> it's soccer related and fun. Yes. At Martin Mulcahy, I heard some high school American football referees say they view the game differently after becoming a referee, and if they had that knowledge back then, they would have been much better players. Same hold true for soccer referee? So I spent the uh, weekend yet again on the fields refereeing AYSO soccer. You know, you you get all high and mighty about riding around on a bus. I get all high and mighty about volunteering and being a referee uh, and you know, making sure that the... Uh, you know, future of America is secure and protected uh, and is given good refereeing. So I, I have a blast doing it. It's so much fun. I get yelled at uh, each and every time. I got yelled at uh, on Sunday. I did a 19, uh, under 19, 19 and under game, boys. I mean, they're basically young men. And uh, the parents were not happy with a few of my calls. At one point, I, ca- I called an off. I, I didn't call an offside and ended up being a goal. I'm, I'm to this day and, and for the rest of my life, I will be secure in the knowledge that I made the right call, as, as every referee is. But uh, the sideline that I was working was in front of the team that got scored on. Uh, no VAR in this game. No VAR in this game. No, no, no VAR. So I, 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 it was not offside. There was some question as to whether he came from an offside position back in. And, and so anyway, I, I did not call it off. I did not flag. They went in and scored. And immediately I, I get heckled, more so than I get heckled in normal life walking down the street. But the uh, one, one gentleman was uh, adamant that I had made the wrong call and screaming and yelling. And uh, then another gentleman was, also, was saying, ah, it, was, it, was, uh, it was even, he was on. This is on the same team. So these are parents from the same team with two different takes on what happened out there. And so usually I don't even, it's beneath me to even to acknowledge that they are yelling at me. But in this case, I turned around and I said, how is it possible that you believe he was on and you believe he was off? And they got very flustered and didn't quite know what to say. And, and, and then I said, how is that possible? And then we went on with the game. That was, that was my only, and, and I'm, not, I'm not happy with myself because you know they poked the bear and they got a reaction, which is ultimately what they wanted to what they wanted to do. But to answer your question, yes, I it, it has helped me immensely to put myself in the shoes and in the positions and to see the game in a very very different way. I think I I have more time and patience and. Ultimately, I think I have more respect for the very, very difficult job that these men and women uh, that these men and women do, and it, it gives me an idea, albeit a very small experience relative to you know what they're doing at the highest level. But it gives me an idea of what they are having to go through, and it's easy when you're up in the press box, or when you're in the stands, uh, or when you're on the sideline, or even if you're a player out there running on the field. It's easy to say you should have done this or should have done this, and it's all coming from a a biased uh, perspective no matter what. 
And yes, you're right, we did not have uh, VAR. But I had an interesting conversation with one of the ARs about VAR and how that's changing how the game is refereed, obviously. Uh, and it's changing how the, the game is played and the game how the game is viewed in terms of letting the play go. And if it's close, you let it go into the goal and you want to make sure you don't blow the whistle if the ball goes into the net because you don't want to be the AR or the referee that blew it ahead of time and then the VAR comes out and or VAR wouldn't because it would be after the whistle, but at least you would see on the screen that you were wrong. Had you let it play, it could have stood. And and I explained to the the folks this this adage that we have grown up with where people have said, play to the whistle, play to the whistle. It is so much more crucial and important right now. And you have to play to the whistle right now or you are going to be in, uh, you're going to have some big problems going forward. So yes, to answer your question, uh, it has helped me immensely to be a referee. When I was in college at the University of Michigan, I uh, briefly uh, refereed intramural basketball. I have to say it was maybe the worst experience of my life. <laughs> uh, first of all, I just could not keep up with the action, right. you know, and back and I was terrible. I just choked and missed blatant calls. And actually, I remember the Michigan football team had an intramural basketball team, and I refereed one of their games. And you haven't lived until you've had a 300-pound football player like staring at you because he thinks you blew a call. <laughs> it was oh. pretty scary. Well, you, you mentioned keeping up with the play, and that's that's a huge thing just from a. a, a a practical and physical perspective, keeping up with the play. And the worst is, if you're an AR, if you're running towards towards the midfield with the play, and then a player on the opposite end is coming the opposite way, so you have to stop and move. And as I said, I was doing 19-year-olds yesterday, and you know, some of them are very, very fast, and I'm almost, almost 50 years old. So trying to keep up and trying to anticipate is, uh, is a lot of the battle, and being in a good position to make those calls. The back three. All right, it's time for our back three, some of the big stories or games or moments out there. What do we have in our back three this week, Mossy? Right, we start with MLS. This was actually a late change to the rundown. Neymar's bicycle kick got bumped for this. Wow. Uh, but I think rightly so. Zlatan Ibrahimovic with an incredible performance. Yesterday, hat trick for LA Galaxy who hammered Sporting KC. Big win, gets him back mm -hmm. uh, in the inside of the playoff situation. And for Zlatan, he breaks the Galaxy's uh, single-season scoring record. He's now up to 26, uh, surpassing Carlos Ruiz, who scored 24 in 2002, when I believe you, I you played well, alongside yes. him. Yep. More importantly, as far as Zlatan, that's now 20 goals from open play. I bring that up because <laughs> at the start of this MLS season, I you, and I, you and I had a, a debate on a the little wager, yes. how many he would score. And by the way, I'll even give you, because I agree with you, when, the fact that he missed a penalty and put in the rebound, that's a penalty kick goal in okay. essence. So I'll even, but still, that would even make it 19. I think you said 12 yes, or something yes. like that. He, so, he completely, as Zlatan does, yes. uh, just, you know, just pushed me aside yes. and said, you little man, you have no idea what you're talking so about. And I'm, completely blew past my 12 I'm ready to collect my dinner at Mastro's. Yes, that was the best. I, right? I think that's what it was. All right. In any event, uh, he then came afterwards and said that he's the best player ever in MLS. So what do you make of his performance and that comment? Okay, he's not the best player ever in MLS. And I'm not joking with that either. So he said, I'm the best player in MLS, and that's without joking. Okay, well, I'm not joking either. You're not the best player in MLS. You haven't made the playoffs in the time that you've been here, and you certainly haven't won an MLS Cup or anything for that matter. Uh, you do have an individual award. And, you know, I know at times that uh, I have been uh, critical, and he invites it, and he, and he loves it. I've, he is, for me, he is my definition of a star in that he 
says incredibly interesting and provocative things off the field, things that make you love him or hate him equally, and as many people love him as hate him. And then he backs it up time and time again on the field. And to doubt Zlatan at this point in terms of what he can do on the field, uh, you do that at your own peril. And he is everything that I want from a star in sports. And while I, you know, I can be critical at times about the things he says, and we've done State of the Unions about him, it's because he's so outspoken. It's because he's so upfront. He, it's, he, he wants that. He wants that attention. He has this beautiful ego. He has an arrogance, and I look at arrogance as a positive. It's what ultimately I think makes him tick. But there's always a wink, not always, but for the most part, there is a wink in that he knows the part that he is playing and the role that he has created for himself and this character that he has created for himself. And I'm all for it. I love it. I want to continue to see him doing it. And congratulations to him because he broke a longstanding record when it comes to Carlos Ruiz in terms of goal scoring. That should be praised. That should be applauded. And that should be celebrated. And he's making it really, really interesting as we come down the line here with who's going to get that, uh, that golden boot. But as far as being the best player to ever play in MLS, that's vintage Zlatan in terms of what he's saying, uh, but he's wrong. How many? Oh, so Vela has wait. Vela is at the top with twenty-eight this year. Zlatan right? twenty-six yep. and Joseph Martinez twenty-four. So you're right. It is an incredible. It's uh, a race. race it's going to be a race. And don't don't count out uh, Joseph. He could. He, you know, he could have. Joseph Martinez could. I mean, we've seen him do it time and time again. It's going to be it's going to be fun. But as you mentioned, more importantly, from a Galaxy perspective, that that thrashing of SKC, uh, rest in peace, uh, SK, uh, SKC, uh, sporting quit, if you will. The Galaxy are now in playoff zone, and that is huge and important. It's huge for the Galaxy. We'll be honest. We want, from a television perspective, we want Zlatan and the Galaxy in that. Where he's going to be next year, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what he decides to do after this year. Yeah, we work with uh, Jovan Karofsky on the Bundesliga, and boy, <laughs> being on the outside looking in had him very jittery He was there. very, very <laughs> nervous. I mean, they have put all of their proverbial <laughs> eggs in the Zlatan basket. It is it is all or nothing with him, and he's uh, you know he is, he is so important. Uh, I was talking with someone yesterday. Would you rather, if you're a, a team that is firmly in the playoffs, would you rather get somebody like the LA Galaxy in the playoffs who squeak in at the end or you know take your pick Real Salt Lake or Portland or something like that I'd rather face the Galaxy I mean I know Zlatan they, they have good, deficiencies they you know despite yeah, their they winning it, they yeah. can you can find a way to at yeah. least I think you can find yeah. a way to, to beat the Galaxy but you know I never know get on this roll and one-off games stuff can happen all right what else all right, the Champions League group stage gets underway this week. Uh, lots of good games, but four, I think, really great ones. Uh, two on Tuesday, two on Wednesday. On Tuesday, we have, at the same time, Napoli hosts Liverpool and Dortmund hosts Barcelona. Uh, actually, I was talking to Kate Abdo this weekend, who was beaming all weekend, by the way. Glowing, uh, I thought. Yeah, Turner had a big decision to make there, and they went with Napoli-Liverpool over Dortmund-Barcelona, which was kind of interesting. And then Wednesday, you have PSG-Real Madrid, and then Atletico Madrid hosting Juventus. Uh, so just to go through those uh, individually, Napoli-Liverpool. Liverpool actually lost this fixture last season, 1-0 away to Napoli, but then they beat Napoli 1-0 at home on match day six, a match I attended with Keith Kosigan. I brought him 
good luck. He couldn't return the favor last week. Alisson, in the 90th minute of that game, made a great save on Milik. Had that ball gone in, Napoli would have gone through. Liverpool would have been out in the group stage. Instead, they go on to win the competition. Shows you the margin for error with these things. So that'll be a good game. But I, I can't wait for Dortmund-Barcelona. You know, you, you made a, a great comment on television this hey, weekend. Hey, there we go. Blind squirrel finding a nut. No, there no, we go. We, 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 well, we were all trying to make sense out of how Dortmund could thrash Leverkusen 4-0 and lose to a team like Union Berlin. And you said Dortmund actually preferred teams that are going to go at them, make it a wide-open game, give them space on the counter, as opposed to somebody that's going to sit back and park the bus. So by that logic, this Barcelona game actually kind of sets yeah. up well for them. So yeah, it'd be, be interesting to see if Dortmund can have a big performance here. Any, any changes to your uh, predictions that we had a couple weeks ago? Or, uh, well, or? We'll, we'll go through that in a okay, minute. Right, I just want to make sure. Uh, just okay. A couple of notes on this Dortmund-Barcelona game. Paco Alcacer is off to just a ridiculous start this season. He's scored in all eight matches he's played for club and country. That's uh, the uh, German Super Cup, the German Cup, four Bundesliga games, and then both Euro 2020 qualifiers with Spain, 10 goals in eight games. And he's got a real point to prove here. He's made no bones about the fact that he does not think he was treated well at Barcelona, wasn't given a fair chance. So that'll be interesting to see him going up against his former team. And also, I'm curious to see Jaden Sancho from this respect. I know there's this assumption that whenever he does leave Dortmund, it's going to be to go to the Premier League. But I think the mere fact that he went to Dortmund to begin with shows that he's not operating by the same yep. playbook. He This allure of the Premier League is not as strong with him as it might be with other English players. So I think there's just as much a chance of a Barcelona Real Madrid. And particularly Barcelona, he strikes me as such a perfect Barcelona player. And, and Barcelona Real Madrid have this habit of wanting to sign players that do well against them. And so I'll be curious to see if Sancho plays really well in these two games, if Sancho to Barcelona becomes a thing that people start talking I about. I think you could argue that Jaden Sancho is the Jaden Sancho specifically and directly because of the path that he took and the less traveled path that he took when it comes to English players. Had he continued on in England, he either wouldn't be playing, but even if he was playing and, and playing consistently, I don't think that he would have progressed. He needed it, I think, from a developmental standpoint, just from a pure soccer perspective, but I also think from a off-the-field perspective, it forced him to adapt, obviously, new language, uh, new culture, and it set him apart. It made him something unique. And we were talking about the, uh, who was I talking with, uh, Ian Joy and, and Kate the other day, about how the English, not just media, but also fans, since they don't get a consistent diet of him because he's playing in the Bundesliga, when he comes back to play for, for uh, England, that he is this revelation and this breath of, uh, of fresh air because it's kind of out, in, out of sight, out of mind. And when you have the EPL, you can't blame everybody for, for doing that. And yet, to your point, he is going to bypass that traditional type of upbringing and development and career path. And in doing so, make himself that much more available to the likes of, uh, to the likes of Barcelona. It's, it's wonderful to see. And it's, it's incredible to see his confidence grow and grow and grow. He's not scared about anything. He takes players on. As we know, you know, he's one of the great, not even just young players, just great players playing the game today. Messi, by the way, is in the squad, is going to travel to Dortmund. We'll see if he plays. And and Ooh, so is the kid, Ansu Fati, who if, if he scores, would become the youngest player ever to score in if the Champions League. If you're Turner and you have the decision to make, because tell the people again uh, what they chose. So, this is more so, you know, inside broadcasting type yeah, of thing. Yeah, I thought but it was fascinating. It kind of split, split the office a little bit. We yep. were debating it. So Napoli, Liverpool, or Dortmund, Barcelona. Uh, which one would you have gone with? Well, the decision may have been made before the news of Messi traveling because Messi has not been right. healthy and playing. And, and a Barcelona Messi 
Barcelona is Barcelona, yes, but a Barcelona with Messi is that much more. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. But I just think Liverpool and the EPL, especially yeah. in the United States, I think that trumps. Uh, yeah, there's an old adage. You know, we experienced it for years when we had the Champions League. Is that when in doubt, you you put a big English club on the air. Those are the team: Liverpool, Manchester United. That rate. And our producer Alex Dowd, I think, applies that philosophy to the rundowns. You can see there's always a Premier League chat rammed <laughs> in there, even when it makes no sense. But then, Euro snob. very quickly, Wednesday, Atletico Madrid hosts Juventus. Atletico Madrid a little bit of a buzzkill this weekend. They lost to Sociedad. Felix had a bad game, got subbed out early in the second half. We'll see if he can bounce back there. And now they face Ronaldo, who obviously has, has been a nightmare for Atletico over the years, including a hat-trick in the round of 16 last season to knock him out. And then PSG Real Madrid, which, interesting thing there, Neymar suspended, Mbappe out, Cavani uh, available, but probably not fit enough to start. And Mauro Icardi, I don't know if he's fit enough to start either. He came on against Strasbourg this past weekend and looked way out of shape. So it might be Chupumo leading the line, which is not how PSG drew it up. Real Madrid have some big absences too. Sergio Ramos suspended, Marcelo and Modric out. Uh, but I think their losses are more overcomable. So big edge Real Madrid, I think, in this game. Big point of interest for me, though, is Kaylor Navas is going to start and go for PSG against Real Madrid. Talk about a guy with a point to prove. And by the way, he made a couple of big saves this weekend. You can already see the difference he makes for that PSG team. That might have been the best pickup of any team in the summer PSG getting Kaylor Navas for, for the amount that they did. So keep an eye on that. That'll be a good one. Okay, so... So now you want to revisit our, our picks? Do, are you going to change any of them? <laughs> no, I mean, you guys were laughing at me before we went on the air. I picked City to win the Champions League this season. To be honest, I didn't feel that great about it to begin with, but I am way wobbly on that now. You have this Laporte injury. He's out months. Uh, they, they We're going to get to this in a second, but they have a terrible result this weekend. Their, their back line is in shambles. You've got Otamendi starting games. So, wow. uh, you know, I, I can't switch it because Luis Aguilar already made some snazzy video of our picks <laughs> and posted it everywhere. So it's out there I mean, now it's for out everybody there, to but, take uh, in. Oh, I am man, man. way wobbly on that City pick. All right, before we, we do move on, because we're going to talk a little bit uh, of EPL, uh, a shout out and a, uh, a good luck to uh, our friend Jesse Marsh, who becomes the first American to guide a team in group stage of Champions League, if I'm not mistaken. I hope I'm right with that. But uh, even if I'm not, it doesn't matter. Congratulations and good luck to Jesse Marsh, who's killing it right now uh, in the uh, domestic league over there. And now he starts the uh, the international aspect of it, the European uh, aspect of it for uh, RB Salzburg. All right, we'll end on this Premier League weekend review. In slight defense of Alex Dowd, there was some interesting stuff worth talking about uh, this weekend in the Premier League. And we just mentioned it, Manchester City shocked by Norwich City. They're now already five points back of Liverpool, which, you know, if if these teams are, are as good as I think we all think they are, uh, there's not a lot of margin for error there. So five points is already an interesting gap. And, you know, I've, I've, I'm picking Liverpool to win. So I, I think, you know, they're going to push on here and win the league this season. I mean, just a, a stunning result. Huh? It's done, right? The, the EPL's done. It's yeah. over. Give it to Liverpool and let's move on. Right? And, and, and by the way... It's five points. Uh, by the way, I, I love this player. Obviously, he's Brazilian, but how obnoxious was our producer, Zach Kenworthy, big Liverpool fan, about Firmino uh, oh this my week? God. And my God, he does not oh stop talking my. about it. I think you know, he would marry him if he had a chance. Who did uh, who did Liverpool beat? Newcastle? Uh, Newcastle. Is that what it was? Uh, oh, God, boy. I'm glad they were able to overcome the, <laughs> the juggernaut that is Newcastle. <laughs> Firmino didn't even start the game, and instead, and it still became the story. He came on and had all these lovely flicks, including this breathtaking assist to Salah on a goal. And so this became another big, like, Firmino appreciation weekend for everybody. Well, as much as we love, you know, the demise of, uh, well, not that we're, not we're talking about the demise of Chelsea, but uh, there's nothing uh, more fun 
in life than laughing at Chelsea. There's also nothing more fun than laughing. There's, actually, it's even more fun to laugh at Arsenal, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they had an incredible result. They throw away. <laughs> Look at you. You can't even formulate words. You're just <laughs> they, laughing. They throw away a 2-0 a lead to, to Watford. They draw 2-2. And, you know, it's funny because in the first half of last season, Arsenal had a really nice run. They ripped off like 20-something games unbeaten and were playing well. And we work with a lot of Arsenal fans. And I was getting a lot of, like, them trying to make a case that this is like a Klopp-Liverpool situation and that you're seeing the the early stages of Unai Emery being this, like, transformative mm. figure at Arsenal. And the way no, they not en- so much. <laughs> yeah, the way they ended last season and the way they started this season, that's really starting to dissipate. I think there's starting to be some realization there that, nah, he's a pretty good coach, but nothing more than that, and you're just going to be stuck in pretty goodsville with him. I- I'm not getting a Klopp-Liverpool vibe there. I'm sorry. I know Klopp had his ups and downs the first couple years at Liverpool. There were some people doubting him, but I'm sorry. Unai Emery is not Jurgen Klopp, and I, I don't think yeah, we're going to well, see. Hold on. I don't it, think we're going to see. It fair to, <laughs> is it fair, given the talent that Unai Emery have versus the talent that Klopp has Honestly, to compare th- th- them? This feels like a continuation of the last few years under Wenger. I don't think Unai Emery has changed at all the dynamic there, which is what you wanted to see from a new manager coming okay, in. Okay, so hold on a second. Let's, <laughs> let's look here. So my question to you would be then, Arsenal right now, eight points, sitting at seventh, right, okay? Right. We're early days still, yeah. all right? If Jurgen Klopp, took over Arsenal at the beginning of this year, where would they be? What is, what is that? What is, you know, what is, how much is Klopp's value? You know, when, when, when Klopp was, was sitting there at Dortmund and you were thinking about him going to the Premier League, the two Premier League teams that I think I could kind of picture Klopp in were Liverpool and Arsenal. And I, and I do wonder if Arsenal fans think to themselves, boy, if Wenger had gotten out a couple of years uh, yeah. earlier, we could have gotten Klopp. And no, because I think Klopp could do maybe not with this team specifically. Oh, we can't do it with this team. No, but maybe. Okay, then maybe. why are you judging Emery <laughs> to have him do it with this team? That's not fair. And by the way, I should say Unai Emery is also not David Moyes. They 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 went for sort of this down the middle, good solid option. That's it, he's there's not gonna they're not gonna fall apart under him, but they're not gonna do anything special. I think they're gonna be in this sort of like I said, battling for top four every year. Pretty Goodsville, but pretty I do want I do I do want to touch on Chelsea for a second. Okay. Uh, and 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 by the way. Alex Dowd, big Chelsea fan, did not put this on in the rundown. Okay, um, he did. So this is Chelsea's me sort still of in uh, in first division, right? They're still in EPL. Yes, right? okay. yes. Just want to make sure. Now, listen, uh, this is exciting times at Chelsea. I, I, you know, it's it's, it's going to be a roller coaster ride because when, when you're building around young players, you know, it's going to be up and down and they're going to be, every time you start to feel good about them, they're going to have a result that's maddening. And then when you start to get down on them, they'll have a good performance like this weekend. They won 5-2 away to Wolves. They have a real star at center forward in this Tammy Abraham. He had a hat trick. He's got seven in the last three. He looks like a special talent. Mason Mount playing well also. You've got Hudson Odoi on the way back. And this all leads to my big point. I think it's early. I don't want to make too much of it, but we've arrived at the first little Christian Pulisic crossroads moment. Oh God. He, he, oh God. What he are you leaves, about to say here? He leaves the U.S. camp early, mm-hmm. uh, presumably because you know he wants to be fresh and ready to play for Chelsea. And then Lampard doesn't start him, doesn't even bring him on. He sits on the bench for 90 minutes and they turn in their best performance of the season. And we'll see. Now they have a Champions League game coming up against Valencia. If he starts there and plays well, then no issues. Lampard was just rotating. But, you know, if he doesn't start there, they play well again without him. That's going to start to become a little bit of a thing that, you know. So you're predicting that he gets sold in January. <laughs> Christian uh, Pulisic to where? He's going to fall up, right? He's going to Barcelona. That's it, right? Oh, my God. I mean, Alex, now tell me I'm wrong. Are there starting to be the first little little doubts creeping? Oh, look at that. He nodded. I mean, it's, it's about this whole situation. All right. But. So the Christian Pulisic part of the equation not so good but the Chelsea part oh, yeah, of the yeah, equation 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Mason Mount, future England okay, number but, ten. But it's Tammy not, Abraham. It's you've got not Hudson happy Adore days coming back. Again. It's, it's it, happy it, days are coming. By the way, right? it's it's not just young talent; it's young English talent. I think I read somewhere all their Premier League goals this season have been scored by English players. So well, that's you know, ridiculous. That's never, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so that's I mean, there's Lampard character. Yeah, boy, it, he it, is, it's it's a it's he's a, a weird, visionary. It's a weirdly likable Chelsea team, and and Pulisic as a young player in theory sort of fits into all that. But right. we'll see. He might be usurped by other guys who. who people like more how so how dare you how dare you talk about christian pulisic <laughs> like that okay all right uh anything else mossy in terms of our back three no that is it all right well we come to the end of yet another show we appreciate everybody tuning in and listening but at the end of each show we uh give you our one big thing and our one big thing from today's podcast actually doesn't have to do with uh, the state of the union I was uh, flipping through the old Twitter machine uh, last couple of days, and I came upon a uh, tweet from uh, Real Salt Lake, the team over there in, uh, in Utah. And it uh, comes to my attention here that Tony Beltran, uh, who you may or may not know, he is a uh, journeyman type of player in Major League Soccer and has played his, uh, his career for Real Salt Lake, uh, is retiring. And as is the case often when, when players uh, decide that they are going to call it a day and hang up the, uh, the boots, they often write a type of letter or thank you or tweet or something like that, as, as he did. This was a, a really interesting letter that he wrote. I'm not going to get into reading it all, but you should read it. I, I tweeted it out. He talks about growing up and what soccer meant to him and the arc that a professional player has where you start out and you're bright-eyed and physically you're the top of your game and then obviously you peter out and things change and uh, you can't do the things that you once were able to do and it's just a really interesting and emotional and personal letter unlike a lot of the uh, not that the other ones are bad but this one was really really interesting so I, I suggest you read it but it reminded me of so many times that I see players and now see players that I even started covering when they first came into the league and now going out, or I drafted them and then they, they went out. And to see that arc and that up and down, and for the lucky ones, it's a, it's a long period of time, but the reality is for most of them, it's a very short period of time. And while a career can be a defining and important part of your life, the reality is that when you retire, uh, you have a whole life to live and you hope that you have faculties and the, and the tools to be able to live that. And I'm here to tell uh, Tony Beltran and all those players that there is a life after kicking the ball. It can be different, can be a very, very difficult um, and challenging type of transition to stop doing something that you have done day in and day out and have spent so much time doing. The, the lucky ones or the smart ones have planned and figured out what they are going to do. And that's not to say, I, I shouldn't say smart ones because there are even some that think they have a plan and those plans don't always go the way that you want. And there is for, for many a real transition and a period where you question a lot of things. But when it comes to Tony or anybody out there, uh, I will tell you that there is life on the other side. Uh, I am very, very fortunate and privileged to be able to do what I do. In no way am I saying that everybody is going to have those types of opportunities. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. But while you will be proud and have uh, a wonderful, hopefully a wonderful memory of the time that you spent, as I said, it's going to be a very small uh, portion of your life. And so I wish him and all of these players that have given so much uh, 
and for, in his case, so many years, and not just to one team like him, but many to other teams, and ultimately to soccer, uh, I wish you happiness uh, and health, uh, a long, long life of uh, doing what you want to do. If it's in soccer, great. If it's not in soccer, uh, who knows? And I'm just using him as an example because each, almost every week, there's somebody else that, uh, that finishes it off, some with more fanfare than, uh, than others. But if you have an opportunity to meet Tony or anybody uh, and you are in soccer and you care about soccer, certainly thank him or her uh, for everything uh, that they have done and wish them well going forward. It's not always easy, but as I said, there is a, a life beyond, and I hope that he finds one that, uh, uh, that he loves and that excites him to the level and even more so than the things that he did uh, on the soccer field. All right, Mossy, anything before we head out? No, I'll just say, uh, again, Neymar's bicycle kick not mentioned this week, nor was the <laughs> Leipzig-Bayern game. Uh, so send your complaints to it. It is at Alex Dowd on so. Twitter. That is definitely uh, Listen, it. we can only execute the plays that the coach calls. Listen, it's, it's, we, uh, you know, we are but soldiers in this army, yes. Rossi. Okay. Uh, we will see you again next week. Thanks, as always, for, uh, for tuning in on all the different platforms. Uh, please send us questions, comments, concerns with that Ask Alexi hashtag. Please review and subscribe and give us all of the different comments that you have out there on all the different platforms that we have. We really appreciate uh, all the people that for now a couple of years have been joining us in this, uh, in this thing that we're doing. Uh, it means a tremendous amount to us that anybody is out there listening on their ride, in their car, on their bike, on their run, wherever it ends up being, or if you're you know, shirking your work responsibilities out there, even better. All right, we will see you again next week. And as always, size the day. <laughs>